Hi, and welcome to Beyond the IPLS Classroom. I'm your host, Stacey Roberts. In this episode, I'm joined by Kevin Hyatt, Senior Publisher at Pearson edXL. Kevin is responsible for IPLS curriculum development and matching resources. Previously, Kevin worked as a primary school teacher and senior leader in the UK, taught English abroad, and worked in educational publishing and consultancy. Hello. There's Kevin. (laughs) So back in October 2020, IPLS hosted a webinar addressing the gaps created by COVID-19. Kevin described the current situation and gave tips and advice as to how to identify, address and close those gaps that have been created by COVID-19. So in this episode, uh, we're going to take a look back at that webinar um, and we're going to focus on steps that you as a teacher can take to try to mitigate the widening of gaps in your students' learning and how you can track and assess your students now, one year into the pandemic. So I'm going to ask you uh, some questions, Kevin, and let's just have a conversation. Cool. I look forward to it. So in the webinar, you discussed some of the challenges that schools were facing staff and pupil illness, school closures, and the rapid shift to remote and blended teaching. How may these challenges have affected students' learning since the pandemic began? Well, um, I imagine a lot of our learners will be quite, listeners rather, will be quite familiar with um, these problems, but we've had those illnesses, school closures, a range of approaches to online and blended learning, not just across the globe, but within countries as well. And they've all massively disrupted uh, students' education and and teachers' way of working as well, and of tracking where pupils are. Um, I think they have contributed in some cases to gaps in knowledge. Um, They've also uh, contributed to gaps in understanding between pupils in the same cohort, between a whole class, um, between a pupil and a curriculum, and they've widened existing gaps as well. Um, There's been research to suggest that uh, school closures are very likely to reverse any progress made in narrowing those gaps and the way to minimise the impact is through effective remote teaching and assessment as well. And although, I mean, we're a year now since we got sent home in the UK and in some places longer, I think the way that these gaps and this teaching uh, these teaching issues are tackled around the globe still vary massively. Yeah, so slightly waffly reply, but essentially it's causing gaps and it's widening gaps. <laughs> Yeah, but I think it has been, what, a year since we have been sent home. So Mm. just imagine what a year's lack of full-time teaching can do to students. Um, Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's been some amazing work out there from teachers. But I know a a lot of teachers have felt quite abandoned or put on the spot. Uh, Many have risen to the challenge. But it it is very challenging because no two pupils will respond to it the same way. And no two schools seem to have taken the same route through. Yeah, so so on that note, being talking to two teachers what can we what can we suggest to them to help them identify if there are any gaps that do exist there's some quite simple ideas um that are kind of simple to apply but do require a lot of dedication as well and it's likely it'll vary from subject to subject or student to student but i'd suggest that you start by looking at the curriculum you're following if you're an r something like an ipls school then you'll have age-related expectations. So you will know 
exactly what the objectives were from last year the child should have covered or what the objectives are from this year that you will have missed. There's plenty of other curricular or learning progression that do that as well. You can have a look at the lesson planning as well. So if you know they missed four weeks last summer, well, have a look at the teacher's lesson planning from then and it should have the objectives on it. You can have a look at test results. You can have a look at the summative and formative forms of assessment as well. Formative assessment being ongoing interactions with the pupils or any existing record of formative assessments. And a lot of people also do quite like the idea of baseline tests as well. Okay, so there, there's a lot of ideas there um, yeah. that teachers potentially already access if they're um, following any kind of curricula uh, globally. So I'm just thinking, how can we kind of support teachers um, in how do they use the curriculum and lesson planning? How can they use those documents to help identify those gaps? Okay, you know when learning was disrupted um, you'll know when teachers uh, students were sent home you'll know when your lessons switched from in person to blended to online so look at the curriculum you're following look at the expectations and objectives for that year or key stage and look at the expectations from the previous year as well ideally a student should come to you knowing everything from that previous year the curriculum document itself is also a useful tool for you to track against. Don't be afraid of, of printing it off or having multiple copies and highlighting what students can do or what you lack evidence for. I'm not going to say they can't do it because a lack of evidence isn't proof they can't do it. It's just a sign we need to find a way of finding out if they can do it. Um, the progression map formed by an age-related curricula or by an actual progression map should give you an idea where a child is coming from, where they should be now, and where they're going. Regarding lesson planning, I'd say, I think I mentioned this before, it does seem simple, but if a school was closed for three months, March, June, July last year, and during those three months, students were meant to study inference in English, quadratic equations in maths, um, the life cycle of a butterfly in science, well, there's a good chance that inference, quadratic equations, and life cycles will be weak areas now. So those should be areas we should focus our assessment and our teaching on. Okay, that is great kind of advice where to where to start um, for our teachers. And obviously, as they progress through uh, each each year, each term, they can build on on using those curriculum documents documents more effectively. You mentioned test results, formative assessment and baseline tests previously. Yeah. Um, how can we kind of suggest to teachers without simply suggesting that they ask their students to sit test upon test upon test, use the tests that you've mentioned, formative assessment and baseline tests, um, effectively to actually help identify where those gaps in knowledge are? So um, everyone loves a test, don't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start backwards, actually. Um, with the last bit you mentioned, which is a, is baseline tests. Okay. So students are coming back to school. In some cases, they're going to be starting a new school year in a few months. In some countries, they will have just started one. And the idea of a large baseline test at the start of a year is a really attractive one, and I can understand that. And if we're going to use it to identify like core skills or core knowledge, that's fine. But if we're doing it to try and find out what they've missed from last year's content, how are you going to do that unless you give them a test on the entirety of last year's content? Um, end of year tests and baseline tests almost never test everything from the previous year. 
they test a relatively randomized selection of content. And this is true for GCSE and A-level as well. You're not going to get an examination covering everything you might have learned. It works for high stakes because, you know, students pay the odds. They revise what they think will come up. They revise most things. But as a diagnostic tool, it's severely lacking. Or we could create a really comprehensive baseline that covers everything. And then we're probably testing the student's ability to sit a five, six hour test, which is an entirely different thing. Yeah. Um, so I would like to put baseline tests to one side completely and say, identify where you don't have evidence by looking at the curriculum and looking at lesson planning and looking at uh, the assessments and the test results from last year's teacher and from talking to last year's teacher as well. Please do talk to colleagues. They've huge amount of knowledge there. They'll know how students have got on, even if the evidence isn't written down. This is your chance to talk to Miss Roberts and say, can Stacy, you know, successfully infer a character's intention in stories? If your school's got mark books or ongoing tracking that follows a child from year to year, perfect. Like I say, print out a curriculum document, highlight what they can definitely do. And then once you've identified the gaps where you don't have that evidence, that's where focus testing comes in. But we also know you don't have to formally test a student to know they can do something. Especially in primary, we know uh, quizzes, off-the-cuff conversations, questionnaires contribute to the picture of what they can and cannot do. When I was teaching, if, if a young child had repeatedly retold a familiar story during show and tell, or was able to answer questions during whole class teaching, that will tell me as a professional which skills they've mastered and means I can focus my teaching on other areas and also focus those tests on other areas, areas where there's gaps. Just do make sure you record that information and do something with it. Uh, it can help to specifically focus on a small group of children for a session rather than trying to make unfocused notes on everybody. If after all of that, there's still gaps there, then you can use targeted testing. So something like IPLS has progress tests based on individual topics or individual half terms. But the questions are also matched very clearly to specific curriculum objectives. So if through talking to the previous teacher, through my conversations with the child, through things I've observed, I still have some gaps there. I can pull out questions from any progress test and ask the child either informally or formally to try and get evidence as to whether they can do it or not. I mean, if they can't, that's where you focus your teaching. Okay, that's... A fantastic kind of <laughs> overview of uh, testing in, in general and using it um, in addressing gaps. So using all of those curriculum documents mm -hmm. um, and ways that teachers can, can track and assess, what matters? So what matters to a teacher when they've identified a gap in learning? What, what do we need to do as teachers to um, kind of bring <clears throat> those students up to speed or... Yeah. Uh, reduce those gaps so well we teach what's missing but of course. Um, I say that <clears throat> we don't have to teach everything that's missing and I think it's important we don't confuse a curriculum or broader scheme of work or or plan of skills with specific items of knowledge um, you've got enough to do and pandemic is causing enough problems for families, for children, for teachers as it is, without attempting to just teach every single thing that's missed. The temptation is to say everything matters, but you've got to be practically realistic about this. Skills are important. So um, 
use the inference example again, um, but I think it's equally valid across other subjects. If I have evidence that you as a pupil can successfully infer a character's intentions, does it matter that you didn't do it last year in a very specific storybook? I don't think it does. If I'm confident you could have done it or you could do it in another case, why reteach that? It, it's actually, it's, it's a waste of everyone's time, which we don't have at this point. So identify what really is important. Identify whether you've got evidence for those big overarching skills. And also knowledge is still important. Underlying and prior knowledge um, is really important. Not for knowledge for its own sake, uh, but sometimes you do need to know something to enable you to access new learning. So if I wanted to be able to multiply and divide by 10 or 100 or 1,000, I'd need an understanding of place value. Uh, so IPLS lesson plans have a section on prior knowledge. And also the curriculum itself can help to create a progression map you can check here. If there's something they cannot do this year or you don't have evidence for, you can look to see where that same strand comes from the previous year. And you can look at the underlying knowledge that went into it. Okay, so basically using those documents to, to kind of track um, what skills should be learnt or being taught at a particular time that might have been missed. A bit, but also professionalism. We need to trust trust teachers here. Um, yeah. If you are, as I say, if you're confident as a professional that child X can solve money problems in varying contexts, it really doesn't matter that they missed week four term three last year of money problems in context if you have other evidence if you're already confident saying all that and arguing against knowledge for knowledge's own sake obviously if you're on a high stakes examination year like international gcse or international a level well those are examinations that are a key to future access to further education and there it's very simple look at the specification test everything in the spec teach to the spec especially if you're short of time of course um those high stakes exams are obviously what students um kind of aim towards at the end of their kind of educational journey so yes and ipls provides that absolutely fantastic progression from primary all the way through to uh international gcse and international a level before you give me one final piece of advice is there anything kind of else that we should be guiding our teachers in terms of practical advice? So, I mean, I've said use the curriculum. I mean, I, I can't say that often enough. So if it's if we're looking at IPLS teachers specifically, the curriculum is really quite detailed compared to some of us like the English National Curriculum with a really comprehensive year-by-year -year progression with examples there. Practically, um, and this is something I, I did myself when I was teaching, I would print off a copy of the curriculum for each child and I would highlight what a child can do. The first time I did it, it was it was just a question of wildly highlighting up to a point. Thereafter, I used a different colour and I dated those um, pieces of evidence. So when I had a piece of evidence or when I knew something, I'd highlighted just so I could see how they progressed over time. And that went up with the child to the next teacher as well. So it was I suppose it would have been vaguely pandemic proof because there was all the record of achievement formed by it rather than a pure summative assessment, which I mean, as we all know, a summative assessment is a nice mark and especially at A-level and GCSE, it's a nice mark. But for younger years, you really want to know where the actual gaps are so you can fill them in later and get the kids to get those better marks later. Yeah, I mean, that just sounds like best practice uh, kind of anyway, that if teachers haven't thought of it, 
then um, you've given them an actually a, quite a good piece of advice just to start using even out past kind of pandemic. It, it is very useful. I think I think it has to come not just from one teacher, because if you're the only teacher doing that in a school, it, it's it's a lot of work and it's quite lonely. And then someone else yeah. puts it to one side and never looks at it. So I think involving colleagues, getting them to come along with you on the journey and involving senior leadership as well so they can understand what you're doing. Because the, uh, the temptation for senior leaders in a school, especially a large school, because they've got so much to look at and so much to see, is to just ask you to constantly do summative tests, which are limited as diagnostic tools, as I've said. And over-testing does cause people disengagement. Oh, okay. So I think a, a point in your webinar... Um back in October 2020 was that you shouldn't, as a teacher, you shouldn't do this alone, that you need to work with colleagues and your senior leadership team. How, how would you go about doing that? I would, so I would explain what I am doing and why, without knowing any of the personalities involved in however mm-hmm. many thousands of schools around the world. Um, I'd talk to my colleagues in the same year group. I would talk to uh, other subject specialists in the school and I talked to the senior leaders who want that overview I would say I want to identify gaps I want to track achievement over time best way of doing this is against the curriculum I'd really appreciate your advice and support most senior leaders are themselves very experienced educational professionals they'll really appreciate being involved in the discussion and coming along for the journey and supporting you on this um, and then especially when you come to other colleagues who might be more nervous about uh, not constantly doing those summative tests because it is what we're pressured into doing a lot of the time you'll have the support of the senior leadership explain to the students or explain to the students the senior leaders colleagues absolutely everyone that you're just trying to help uh, with assessment with progression with teaching to make sure people get the intervention that they need and hopefully everybody will see that actually you you are doing what what amounts to professional best practice for the benefit of everyone okay and so on kind of that note i think a point that you mentioned in the webinar again was a list of people who who can help you um so your colleagues subject coordinators and senior leaders the students themselves and and you've just mentioned that parents yeah so again parents uh, especially in a lot of high pressured international settings will want to see so they'll remember their own educational experiences and they may well veer towards the idea of constant testing again or wanting you to fill in those gaps through the constant testing through teaching absolutely everything that was missing so i'm not saying you need to kind of present your lesson plans and your your life's ambitions to them but maybe it is worth just working with subject coordinators and senior leaders to put out a newsletter or whatever parent communication channels you have to explain how you're addressing the gaps what you're doing how you're supporting so the parents are also supportive of this as well yeah uh, definitely the, the more parental engagement you can can kind of achieve within your school it's only going to benefit you the school your teachers uh, and the students as well and finally, the last point you mentioned was the iPrimary and iLower secondary materials. And of course, it's people that create and support those materials. So me and you in this case. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there is, there is there's a wider team here as well. We mm-hmm. do have some excellent um, PD trainers, which, as you know, is you coordinate the professional development, yes. all of whom are more than willing to help. Um, and of course, the... Um, 
whoever your local Pearson representative as well, if there's something they can't help with or a query they're not sure about, they've got direct access to the central team and we're all more than happy to do everything we can to make sure students have the best experience. Yeah, well, on that note, uh, thank you very much for your time, Kevin. It's been extremely insightful um, and I hope it it has been for, for all of our listeners um, in this episode as well. So thank you, Kevin. Thank you. And thank you to uh, our listeners. If you would like to watch the webinar in full, please head over to our Pearson International Events and Webinars page where you'll be able to watch the webinar um, and have a look at the FAQs that that were created alongside it. So thank you very much.